I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to Hit Me One More Time, the Nostalgia Reflection podcast that looks at the things that we loved when we were younger and asks the question, is this good? My name is David Luzader, and with me, as always, is Nick Shermooksness. Nick, hello. Hey, David. How's it going? It's, you know, it's going good. I found just a few more white hairs in the old facial hair, so just that march of time is ever going on, which is why this podcast exists. Yeah, it's... um. I didn't have something deep prepared in response for that. Uh, I was just going to comment on now that we're using cameras while we record that, like, I can distinctly see the scrunch of your face when okay. you do. Is it good? <laughs> um, so that makes my day. Thanks for painting uh, a picture for the audience. I there. It's not a visual medium, so I feel like we need to be over descriptive for the audience. Everything's for the audience. It's, it's true. As we have said many times on this podcast, when people send us GIF responses to our questions, <laughs> podcasting is an audio medium. That's enough from us. Let's introduce our great guest. Somebody has brought our topic and just an all-around great person. It is Lauren Ritter of Choosing Your Reflection. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. And how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's It's been a bit of a week for me. I'm, I'm in the midst of moving, but I'm super excited to talk about uh, the topic today. I've been delving deep so very excited to be here well, we're excited awesome. to have you now for for anybody listening who might not be familiar with you or your work just uh, who are you give us the rundown what do you do yeah so um as you said i'm lauren i host a podcast called choosing your reflection where we explore the sociology and psych sociology and psychology behind wedding outfits which sounds sort of hoity-toity but it's sort of like Say yes to the dress, but with a little bit more oomph, a little bit more heart, and less commercialization. So uh, we mm. like to explore that kind of topic without thinking about just the beads and the frills, thinking about what it really means to wear something and have a ritual and make commitments. So, yeah. That's very interesting, actually. I mean, I think it's a really cool aspect of weddings to talk about because I, I think, you know, there's so much focus on the day and, and I know we have stuff like say yes to the dress, but all of that is so much for show and pageantry that like to really talk about the, you know, the nitty gritty of why this outfit was picked, why you picked these accessories, stuff like that. It's a really, it's a really cool avenue. It's really interesting. Yeah, th thank you. I, it's it's been a, a, an interesting journey doing it. Um, I, I actually do it with my mother. Um, she's the producer and I'm the host and I help her co-produce. So I, not to mention, like, I'm also getting married. So it's Ooh, a very fun relevant. whirlwind. Yeah, it's relevant to me. It's a whirlwind because I'm psychologically trying to go through the process of doing it and also have to do it with my mother and i love her dearly but you know it comes with its own stresses so oh yeah it's, family it's is, fair. yeah family. i should i'm gonna have to check it out because i am also getting married at some point oh, in right. the future yes david yeah. if, in case you forgot i am also gonna get married at some point it's a whole process <laughs> we don't have time for it on the show uh but we're very much in love anyway my point is is uh i could probably use some advice so i'm gonna check out your podcast yeah, please do. It, we we try to have fun, but we also dig deep on on some topics, which is some sometimes a little darker than usual. So <laughs> we love the dark stuff on here, <laughs> and nothing is darker. Actually, there's a lot of things that are darker than our topic this week. Oh, nice, nice segue there. I I, I saw it and I took it and I'm running with it. And our topic this week that Lauren brought us is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ooh, Ooh that's right. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer follows the adventures of Buffy Summers, the eponymous Slayer, as she deals with all sorts of ghouls and goblins and a lot of vampires in the city of Sunnydale, situated over a hellmouth, often accompanied by her friends, known as the Scooby Gang. I want to put on record, I forgot to write a synopsis for this week's episode, and I just did that off the dome. 
So <laughs> applaud where appropriate, unless you're you're driving, then pull off to the side of the road and then yes. applaud. This is the part of the show where we talk about our personal histories with the topic. Lauren, since you brought this here today, what is your history with Buffy? Why'd you decide to pick it? Well, Buffy and I have an interesting relationship. I, I'm a very, very young millennial. I, I kind of land on that weird cusp of being at the very, I mean, Buffy started in 1997, the TV show in particular. Um, and that's, was my first exposure, like exposure to it. And I heard about a bunch of kids talking about it in high school. So I was in high school. I graduated in 2012. So it was way after it had already ended in 2003, I believe is when the final season ended. Of course it continued in, in graphic novels, but my exposure to it was hearing it in high school. And I grew up in a very conservative house. So I was like, Ooh, scandalous vampires high school me wants to explore that so I did and I kind of was at the same age I was about 17 when I started watching it way after it had already come out and so I kind of was aging with her as I was watching the show um and by the time I finished the show because I had a life and schoolwork I actually finished it in my freshman year of college which is a you know similar time frame for her so my history with it kind of is growing up and learning that at the same age that she did even though it was a little late in the game and i loved it i mean i just ate it up because i was a teenager so um and now, and and i haven't watched it for years and now i'm getting married and my fiance was like what do you want to watch together? And I was like, hey, let's start watching Buffy. And he's never seen it before. And we started watching it. And my jaw hit the floor because I realized so many of the things I totally didn't understand. <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> like the discrepancy between ages for so many of the characters. Yeah, we're, we'll, we'll talk about Angel and Buffy's yeah. Edward and Bella relationship. Yeah, quite a bit. Let's just say Twilight's less original than you thought it I was. I mean, he is eighteen. He yeah. For he, a while, he was, was eighteen. Was Twilight, I've been <laughs> seventeen for a long time. Or that's that's my uh, Robert Pattinson impression. It's, it's good. It's good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I liked it. So, did your did your high school like blow up too? Did like you know like was it <laughs> like did everything sort of mirror Buffy in your journey or? Uh, Unfortunately, no, not everything mirrored Buffy, although I genuinely think, and this is probably TMI, that it uh, made me really like older men for a really long time. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously, you know, I'm okay now, but there, you know, I think a lot of Buffy's sort of headstrong elements I reflected because I was the kind of person who wanted that for herself. I was always the like girl who wanted to be a feminist and like before it was cool to be a feminist within high schoolers. So um, yeah, I think there were, and there are a lot of things that are fraught with issues that we I'm sure we'll talk about today in regards to that feminism um, with the undertones of the writer. But beyond that, uh, no, no, no monsters for me. I wish there were, I mean, but the reality is Buffy is just a big, allegory for adolescents so the monsters i guess i did experience just not in reality yeah the, so. the vampires were a metaphor for puberty i guess i i mean it depends on which vampire i mean in my in my opinion the vampires are an allegory for your sexual awakening oh, and it depends on yeah. what what side of that sexual awakening you're doing it are you doing it for love are you doing angel for love or are you doing spike for lust like, it gets real. <laughs> it gets real, Anne Rice. <laughs> Nick, do you have any history with Buffy? Uh, were, were vampires your sexual awakening? Um, no comment, but maybe. Um, man, that's, that's an interesting topic. Um, so my history with Buffy was... I So I, I never... This was, I think, my first real time watching it. Maybe I saw an episode or two way back when um 
my high school career only ended like three years after Buffy did. So I think it was still kind of, I was roughly in the age group where other people were probably watching it, but for whatever reason, it, it didn't really, um, I didn't gravitate towards it. I think maybe I got hooked on lost or something, whatever else was going on around the same time. Um, which may have been 2005. Doesn't matter. Not important, <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyway, so I didn't have much history. I, it's always been something that I've been following in my, in the peripherals, that a sentence doesn't matter um like i i know when uh, they launched like season eight i was really curious so instead of of course watching the tv show i think i just started picking up the season eight of buffy in comic form uh and i think i read like three issues <laughs> um and then i know that boom boom studios comics also like rebooted it the series as also as a comic as well uh which i think i also read the first issue so i keep like getting in there and and testing the waters and then stepping back out and for not really any reason. Um, but so this was a good opportunity for me to sort of get in and, and, and like really spend some time with Buffy and I do have thoughts. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. What so about you, David? You, you and Buffy got to spend some quality time. You know, you really got to know one another. You feel. We, we talked about vampires a lot and boys and, and what dresses to wear to prom and how to stab people. It was, it was a whole, it was, it was great. Yeah. It was a real, real great, real great pillow talk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, my history with Buffy is I didn't watch it when it was on. I was probably aware of it. I had a lot of friends much later who were very into it. I was much more into Angel. I actually watched probably the last couple seasons of Angel as it aired. I won't go too much into that. Um, I'll save that until we, we talk about Angel on the show. I uh, I will say this, though. I think, overall, Angel is a better show. But, you know, that's we're not going to get into that here. Uh, it wasn't until oh, six or seven years ago that I watched all of Buffy. Just decided, like, hey, I have friends that are really into this. My friend Fabian is super into it. Uh, he was a big kind of nerd influence on me, especially in that kind of occult way. So yeah, let me check this out and watched, watched all of Buffy very much did enjoy it. Yes. There are problematic elements and weird elements and, and stuff that is probably gonna hit you much differently as an adult than it will as a kid, but I had a fun time with it and have always kind of kept Buffy like in the back burner of my head. Uh, Oh, I, I can remember the first time I actually had really heard of Buffy that I remember was after the musical episode came out and a friend of mine had the CD. So I heard a couple of the songs, but none of it meant anything to me because there's a lot of story context, not just in the episode itself, but also what was going on in the season at that time. So I don't really remember much. But then did that rewatch? Always kind of been on the back burner. Always meant to also check out some of the comics. Not too much the, like the season eight, nine ten whatever because that stuff gets real bananas but we're actually going to mention that towards the end of the show hint hint and that's uh that's kind of where i've been at watched it haven't come back to it since so it was fun to get to touch on it again and uh and view it maybe a little bit more critically instead of just casually mm-hmm. and that is our personal histories with the topic nick can you give us the world's history Buffy the Vampire Slayer began its life as Rhonda the Immortal Waitress, which is something I actually want to see. Um, Buffy creator Joss Whedon said the impetus of the idea was the idea of some woman who seems to be completely insignificant who turns out to be extraordinary. This was eventually developed into the 1992 feature film Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where the titular heroine is played by Christy Swanson. The film was written by Whedon, but directed by Fran Rubokazu. Whedon and Kazoo disagreed on the theme of the movie, and ultimately the script for the film was praised, but not the film itself. Years later, uh, Whedon was approached to develop Buffy into a television show. He considered the theme to be high school as a horror movie, and the supernatural elements acted as stand-ins for the anxieties of the time. Mm-hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer Buffy the Vampire Slayer aired on March 10, uh, 1997, and ran for seven seasons. It was so popular that it led to a spinoff uh, for popular series regular Angel, played by David Barinez, uh, as well as comics, novels, and other media. The storyline was continued in comic book form, running from season 8 to season 12. The franchise is still popular with a rebooted comic series on the shelves and a proposed reboot of the TV show that's been in the works since 2018. That's a good point. It's been, it's, we're in 2021 now. Is the reboot show coming? Maybe. 
I, you know, COVID has killed production for everything except for animated shows, basically. So, I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, stay, I mean, production production in New York is still happening, but it's only for limited limited stuff, not new stuff. So. Right. Yeah. Like, there's some shows that are making it work, but like, I feel so many times I've heard like Witcher delayed again because of COVID. It's like, all right, I guess that's just the world we're living in now. Is, Given that. Buffy takes place in high school. I would love to see like Buffy now and like COVID high school times where like the <laughs> Scooby gang never gets together because they all have to take school from home and then they get together and they wear masks. Anyway, there's a version of this that's never going to appear, but I, I want to see basically them just talking on discord about vampires. <laughs> so there was something recently from Sarah Michelle Geller where she was saying um, that, she's done with Buffy and she meant it in the way of like, I think it was related to this reboot in some way. And it was just her basically saying like, if they remake it, great, whatever, I won't be involved, which, you know, totally fair. She's still married to Freddie Prinze Jr. Like Buffy's mom or something. I don't don't know. She'd come back as a watcher. (laughs) Uh, I feel like sometimes you want to put that stuff behind you as a, mm-hmm. you know, as a performer. It's like, I did that, you know, I'm good. And and at that point, it's just for the fans right. To, right. to have a return. Yeah. It's like Linda Carter showing up in all sorts of like DC stuff is like super fun because that's like what she like, you know, built the history. But it's also fun because it's like now we're like 40 years removed from the show versus mm-hmm. Buffy is less than 20 years old. So Really, it, it, I think it would be odd to have her playing some other character. If it was like 20 years from now and she came back as like, ah, I'm the old wizened leader of the Watchers Guild and my two episode cameo. I'd be like, yeah, that's fun. That's cool. But I, I don't think she needs to come back and do anything extended with it. No. Yeah. I want to say as we're like getting into our discussion here, there has been recent news concerning Joss Whedon that I think it's better to just kind of address up front because it's impossible to talk about Buffy without talking about Joss Whedon. And I think Buffy as a property is much bigger than Joss Whedon. I think whatever he has done, and there's been lots of stories, go look up Charisma Carpenter's account. I believe everything that people have said about it. Absolutely. He's not the great guy that maybe we all thought and hoped him to be. All that aside, I think Buffy is bigger than him, and the people who worked on the show, writers, performers, they all still take pride in it. And even in talking about Joss Whedon recently, they're like, I'm forever happy to be associated with these characters and proud of the work that we did. But here's the truth kind of about the working environment. So I just wanted to address that up front because his name's likely to still come up, and it would just be really weird, especially with how recent it all is, to not mention it in some capacity so what i'm saying is don't take any of our conversations about buffy as some sort of condoning any of his actions and i'll leave the floor open uh, nick and lauren if you have anything additionally you want to to say about it please feel free yeah i mean for me whedon was was a big you know, he was the writer, he was the creator, all of that. But at the end of the day, as you just said, David, Buffy was created by everyone else involved as well. All the other writers, all of the the actors and actresses that supported it. And also the the empowerment that was in, embodied in the people who wanted a, a female strong lead and the, the audience members who really pushed and, and encouraged that to continue because at the time you know there wasn't much in that time frame that was really like strong female power excitement i mean there were a couple but buffy was a big uh beacon of that at the time and he got hailed as a feminist before really we understood what was going on so buffy's so much bigger than him and like you said and i don't think we should be sad or anyone should be sad for either enjoying it or not enjoying it or whatever, or having opinions outside of him. So. I I think you both covered it. Um, Yeah. I, (laughs) that's all I got. Yeah. You guys did great. I was trying to think if I had anything to add, but, but I really don't. Josh Whedon turned out to be a scumbag and that's unfortunate when anyone turns out like when, you know, and your heroes in a sense become our scumbags. Cause I know, 
with Joss Whedon, like I never really watched Buffy, but I know when he came to like Marvel Comics and wrote Astonishing X-Men, I really liked that. Oh, yeah. And I was even rereading it, I think, a little bit before the scandal broke. Um, and um, it do, there's a part of me now that like, I mean, like other like you're saying, other people worked on the comic like John Cassidy. Da, da, da. Uh, sorry for all the people that I qualified under. Da, da, da. But um, <laughs> like there's also part of me that like I don't feel an urge to go experience it again, even though I really like, I did enjoy his writing. I, I can appreciate what you're both saying in terms of separating the creator from the creation. But at the same time, like it, it's, and I, maybe it's just with a comic cause it's almost a smaller production. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't like had a really strong influence on it. And I think my only problem, apparently I did have more to say. Um, my problem <laughs> with like the, the TV shows though, is that it, the, the show was a creation of Whedon. So in a, in an objective sense, like he deserves sort of whatever, in a, whatever royalties and stuff he might get from the show because he did sort of breathe it into this world. Um, but at the same time, you know, not everyone else that worked on that production is necessarily still benefiting from Buffy besides memories. Like not, I, I imagine most of the cast or the production crew and all that don't get royalties every time it shows up on syndication or streaming or whatever. Why, why Presumably they? Joss Whedon. Yeah, what? they would. They would. So, well, some yeah. of them would. I, I agree. But I don't think like the makeup artist probably gets royalties for the show. No, in well, most cases. No, but I'm really concerned about the makeup artist. <laughs> and I'm not even joking about that. Well, yeah, they had to. Part of the crew. They had, to spend a, they had to spend a lot of time putting those vampire faces on. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I did think about that while I was watching it because there'd be a scene where like Angel would like look away and then come back and like he'd have the thing. And I'm like, that, like they cut that, they cut the film and like slid that in there after like probably eight hours of slapping something on his, on his brow. And, uh, yeah, there's a couple of shots. There was one, especially in the, the musical episode where Spike is like walking across the screen and as he walks, he transforms, but you can really tell that like James Marsters is not on that set that they, they had done whatever they had to do to like make that work. And it's, you know, it's TV in early two thousands. It's serviceable. They did a lot of the makeup in this show in generally is very good. And obviously they had to have vampires look different because they're getting killed a lot and you can't have your hero of your tv show stabbing humans in the chest uh, <laughs> and say this is a kid's show you know high schoolers come watch this come watch sarah michelle geller murder a bunch of people unrepentantly Though yeah, originally the that. show was going to be called buffy the serial killer but it didn't work out well <laughs> with, with families it's also why they have to turn to dust instead of you know lying there with gaping holes in their chest which is interesting because, yeah. I mean, even though they sort of censor is the wrong word, but they sort of, um, oh, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say. They sort of sanitized the whole murder thing. <laughs> but at the same time, the show was very explicit. I mean, obviously, it wasn't porn or like R-rated or anything, but it was still very explicit in terms of sexuality, but not mm -hmm. necessarily in stabbing undead to death. Yeah. And and you, I don't know if you, you know, but the... Sadly, the episode Earshot, which is sort of a weird episode that uh, involves one of the characters who's very repetitive, um, he it came it was supposed to come out right after Columbine actually Ooh. happened, and they ended up delaying it because of that. So I think there's a lot uh, to be said about them really trying to like dumb down a bit of the murder <laughs> as much as possible and then the columbine thing happened and the episode that they were going which is horrible the episode they were going to follow that up with was a school shooting episode <laughs> so it's just like oh boy it always seems to happen like not even like as a, it's not even a joke just like it always seems like every time a, a really tragic event happens there's some movie or tv show or something waiting in the wings they were like oh <laughs> we gotta we gotta pull that so, so of the episodes that you chose, Lauren, um, mm -hmm. wh why did you choose these episodes, I guess, is my question. Yeah, so I, so the first one is Prophecy Girl, which is season one. And I chose that because, I mean, it's, it's her first sort of sacrifice, her big, big sacrifice of, this, of the show, where she basically does she's she's a teenage 16 year old girl who is now given the weight of the world on her shoulders and has to go save 
not only her friends, but everyone. And she just doesn't want to do it, which I find, you know, obvious. She's 16. But then everyone is sort of sitting there going like, well, you kind of have to do it because if you don't, then the world will end. And then she sort of changes her mind and then drowns in a puddle, (laughs) which is so ridiculous to me. And then comes back, of course, because we have multiple seasons to go. So it's, I just, I always, and I always found the like sort of virginity element of that, of like this, not only virginity, but more of this deciding to do something that she didn't want to do. And then it's so sort of like a puddle instead of something big and extravagant it's like oh yeah i just drowned in a puddle no worries but she still walks out a winner so it's just it's a bizarre episode in my opinion it i always found it bizarre but because of the puddle i don't know i got caught up on the no, puddle I, thing okay i did too and i, I know we have other episodes to talk about but i i, I want to comment on it because i also found it and i found the master to be such a weak big bad villain in like they locked him in a cave for the whole season like he's not much of a threat if it's like i can't leave this room but oh when i do oh oh, things are gonna be bad and and then when he like does he bites buffy and then leaves and then it gets defeated immediately it is just like immediate like all right and your reign of terror is over we got to see it a little bit later in the alternate universe Mm -hmm. with the dark willow and in in all that etc etc uh, but it, it is weird, like this big moment of like he bites her and like a little bit, and then she falls over <laughs> and then she gets back up. Though, you know, her death did eventually give us faith. So, and I'm not that uh, uh, Nick, faith is not like me saying I had a religious experience. Faith was a. Uh, I, I know, I know that faith is a character. In this yeah, show. Eliza Dushku <laughs> comes on and, and plays faith, and I think is a, is a good character with a good arc. So. For mm-hmm. as cheesy and weird as it is, I guess I gotta I gotta give it that because it eventually led to that storyline. Right. It's interesting because I I didn't watch the scene. I, honestly, the whole time I was watching the episodes you had selected, I I understood like the thematic elements of the show. But a lot of times when I watch TV shows, like I'm not. It's weird. Movies I will pick apart to death the first time I watch them, but TV shows I kind of sit back and just sort of shut down and and watch it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking like this is like her losing her virginity when she <laughs> falls into the puddle. Like the master is every David bleep this out <laughs> boy ever, um, <laughs> and uh, you know disappointing. Um, not that I would know. This yeah. um, <laughs> go on. So yeah, it, but it's it's interesting. Like I how in a way stretched the the metaphors are in this case like i i personally didn't see it so i, I think that's interesting that that's what you guys i mean maybe i'm the only one who saw it that way but she's in a white gown she yeah. goes down it's like this whole he bites her and it's just a weirdly semi-sexual semi like her first experience with her apocalypses for the rest of the show like now that you say it, that, I get it. No, you're. I think you're 100 percent right, and I think that makes it seem, <laughs> despite the master being the master, it definitely makes it more poignant for sure. And uh, there's, oh man, I I had something I was going to say, and then I lost it mid sentence. So uh, please, Lauren, go on with with about the episodes you selected and why you picked them. Oh yeah. So um, oh god, what did I pick? Oh, I picked the Halloween episode next in season two, um, which. I find I find just sort of hilariously dumb, um, which is why I picked it, honestly, um, it, which if for a quick synopsis is they go to it's Halloween. They go buy some outfits and they turn into everything that they purchase. Uh, Buffy turns into this sort of coquettish, sad woman who needs a man to save her from from sort of Victorian or, or earlier times. And she picks the outfit because she hopes Angel will like it because Angel's older. <laughs> and, and, you know, Willow becomes, uh, literally dies yep. and becomes a ghost. And Xander becomes a soldier. And so all of these sort of like hijinks come and it, we learn a little bit more about Giles, which I always found his arc fascinatingly, like, 
on and off again. And like, we learn a little bit and then we hear nothing about Giles for forever and then yeah. we hear a little bit more. So it's the first time we hear a little bit about the bad history behind Giles. So. The Ripper. Yes. Yeah, well, I thought I was like, is he supposed to be Jack the Ripper? But I guess that's just some weird 80s punk band name he got. No, it's the most it's the most wasted potential of the Buffy universe, in my opinion. Because when I first watched it, I was like, oh, Giles is so cool. And he has this like secret history. And I remember like reading ravenously that like they want to do more with it and they, they you know they want to revisit that at some point. And just the further I've gotten away, and I'm like, oh, they're never gonna do that. That's like never gonna happen at all. And yeah. I'm just like angry because Giles is my favorite character in Buffy, like hands down. Anthony Stewart head is fantastic in, in the show. And yeah, it's it's the most wasted potential, I think, of the Buffy universe. They, they could have done so much more with that. And it, it could have been so much more and never will be. And I guess that's OK, because that's life. But uh, I'm still going to sigh heavily. I can I also say that um, when when David sent me the episode list, uh, he had, the first one was listed as season two episode on, twelve. Not season yeah, one. that's on me. That's yeah, on no me. Worry, I totally no messed up. I did watch the episode, which was about the <laughs> the, um, eggs. The, the, the teenagers had to raise eggs. <laughs> yes. I always thought it was a really weird high school <laughs> assignment. <laughs> like put it in the fridge for the weekend. Um, also like it wasn't a particularly great episode. So I kind of like went into it and I was watching it with my fiance and we were like, this is like really not that good. Um, but then the show grew on me. Um, so in the Halloween episode though, as we're talking about like coming of age and adolescence and sexuality and stuff like that, what did you think about, uh, Willow? Um, I thought Willow's arc in that episode was a little interesting because Buffy is, she's kind of, shallow and she's just really into looks and, and fashion and all of that and she like basically encourages willow to like wear the like sexy halloween costume like that's just what you do on halloween and willow's not really into it but she still puts it on and then basically by the end of the episode she puts it on but then she like puts the ghost sheet over but then when she actually becomes a ghost she's walking around in her her sexy outfit and then at the end of the episode the, now i realize i'm speaking to the listeners not you guys but uh she kind of like accepts her her sexiness and kind of walks off screen like yeah i got it what's your takeaway from that uh my takeaway is that allison hannigan had really great abs and wanted to show them off i guess is is the the main takeaway no it, it's funny i want to address quickly that you said buffy is shallow i don't think buffy is shallow i think buffy wishes she could be shallow because her whole thing is she is a a teenage girl who is saddled with this insane huge responsibility mm. but wants to have a normal life but can't. And that just like at every turn, she tries to have a normal life and just keeps getting denied because an apocalypse is getting ready to happen. So I, I think there's a lot more depth to her character than she even like will put on as a person because she's going to present herself as like, I don't care about everything, blah, blah, blah. But she's constantly like, I'm the only thing between the world and total destruction. <laughs> Didn't mean to totally side rail your your question about uh, Willow walking off in the outfit in the end. I'll I'll turn that over to Lauren if you have any anything to say about that. Yeah, I mean to sort of talk to both points. Buffy is shallow in the sense that what you just said, David. She wants to be shallow. She wants to do what every teenage girl does, which. I mean, and I'm being very broad strokes here. Not every teenage girl wants that, but you know, stereotypically, and. Mm -hmm. Willow being sort of uncomfortably pressured into being a sexual figure at that age from a peer is super common, at least right. speaking from experience as a female who used to be a teenager at one point. Um, it happens. People, you they look at you and you go, well, you're pretty, so put this on mm -hmm. and look like this and do this. And so it's not necessarily a good thing that people do that to each other mm -hmm. and women do that to each other, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. So I kind of personally took that from a side of, okay, these are two girls who are just being teenagers. And is it a good thing that she embraces herself at the end? Probably. But then you see later on, she embraces a whole lot of other stuff about <sighs> herself. Her arc is so dynamic um, in that way. And also bizarre. Yeah. In, 
that it I've fluctuates about as the well. witch thing or the she like her sexuality yeah everything so which for so. the late 90s early 2000s to have a fairly prominent um lesbian arc basically is is actually i i was actually really impressed by that Oh mm-hmm. yeah, Tara, Tara and Willow are are a wonderful couple. Like you said, like even even today, we don't get uh, same sex couple represented really with such depth and and warmth and humanity. Uh, Tara does eventually spoiler alert, Nick. Tara does eventually get killed, and what makes it a little bit different than happens a lot of times, she's not killed because she's gay, which so often happens in, in media these days where it's like, oh, this woman is attracted to another woman and they start dating and then, oh, she dies, which is like this weird meta punishment for not being straight. The only other show to really escape that trapping to my memory is Supergirl, where they just allow the characters to not be straight and have not heterosexual relationships. And, and it's super great. And Allison Hannigan as Willow, as weird as her arc got, let's please not talk about her getting addicted to magic because I, I just can't. Ooh, I can't yeah, no. talk about when she got addicted to magic. But going back and seeing her like, like in magic high magic the gathering no actual <laughs> magic she goes to like a like a din like a drug din and she's like floating yeah. around while some long-haired kevin sorbo type is like chanting weird things it's it's not good it's not good at all and it always made me feel like it was like she her magic allowed her to accept herself and accept who she was and then yeah. it also turned on her which never made sense to me so yeah. obviously every lesbian ever turns on themselves because <laughs> of being a lesbian that's the takeaway i think they wanted that's that's Clearly. what they're trying to say <laughs> but there was a part in the 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 musical episode where because uh, i didn't watch the episodes before or after it but um t- tara tara sorry tara tara she she finds out that Willow like erased her memories so, or something, so, which seems like a bad thing to do in a relationship. Yes, Willow Willow got addicted to magic, and it was a big deal. And they had like a very special episode, you know, talk to your friends if they're ever addicted to magic, sort of thing. And oh. uh, Tara was basically like, "You need to cut back on magic. You need to like calm down because it's really bad for you." And Willow was like, "Great, not gonna do that." So they would continuously fight about it, uh, which is mm. why she then used the spell to make her forget, and that's what led to their their big breakup. Okay. Yeah. But to um, oh, go ahead. I guess are we, are we still talking about the Halloween episode, or are we moving on to the if next? If you have one, oh, I, I, I'll I'll say that I I always loved in a really like love and a hate way that they use the Halloween episode as a justification for Xander not being useless anymore in fights. <laughs> Cause they would, <laughs> from then on, it was like, he's like, Oh yeah, I kind of remember when I was an army guy, which is why I can now punch somebody every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the reality was they all wanted to be something and they can't be everything that they want to be, nor should they. And I agree. It's like Xander's supposed to be the, the comic relief. He doesn't need to punch anything to, to, to be there in he, my opinion nicholas uh nicholas brandon or nicholas brendan i can't remember which if it's the a or the e brendan yeah he was channeling uh matthew perry as chandler way more than i remembered so yeah. hard it's a time for students to choose um a mate and then we can observe their mating rituals and tag them before they migrate just kill me there's just a couple of the comments, especially like in the Halloween episode or in Prophecy Girl, just some of the things he said where I was like, oh, that's like, that's a Chandler Bing reaction. 100%. That's true. Though he seemed like a more misogynistic version of Chandler Bing, who probably had his mo- his, his moments, but Xander like really, like it's, he was witty, but he was also like really an asshole, like in every episode that he appears in. Xander, Xander was constantly coming up against that he was the most useless of the group and that these... Not so much Willow at the beginning, but especially going on, Buffy and Willow were always way more badass than he was. And that could be a really interesting, compelling arc for a character if it was handled with actual care and depth. But it was the late 90s, early 2000s. And so that was just like, you you stood up for me and that, that emasculated me. And now I'm mad at you. Yeah. yeah. His, his whole arc is 
I'm going to make a joke. Whoopsies. It was misogynist or whoopsies. It wasn't appropriate. And now I'm going to backtrack and we can all laugh it off. Like that, that was his whole shtick. Him and Anya's relationship in a nutshell. Which I like in the the musical episode, uh, uh, at the end, Xander takes credit for summoning the dancing demon because he thought it would like help his impending marriage or something like that. Mm-hmm. And people died, and I'm assuming that Xander experienced zero consequences from that fact. It's it's funny for a show that deals with death so seriously at times. It's also so cavalier with how, how many people <laughs> casually die from the actions of the main characters. That's no. true, uh, Lauren. The Hush episode, I thought was interesting. What was why was that one of your choices? Oh yeah, so Hush is an episode that I've I've always found hilariously terrifying. Uh, ever since I saw it the first time, it's probably it's it's probably my favorite episode of Buffy solely because it's stuck with me for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. To be, I mean, I could probably psychologically unpack that, but. Um, <laughs> It's I chose it and I it's something that I really appreciate because it deals with fairy tale, which again, I don't know what fairy tale it is because they I've never heard this up. fairy tale before in my life, but I love how they are just like, it's a fairy tale now. We're gonna just pretend that it is. Um, but that these, you know, floating entities, which I found just ridiculous looking, <laughs> but also terrifying come into town and steal your heart and you can't speak. And it kind of starts this, this revelation of the, the dream sequences for Buffy again mm. and the, the Riley communication Ugh, and the, Riley. the weird Riley Buffy relationship starts. And you, and you, I personally love that you, you get to see the um, Willow Tara uh, relationship begin all in the same episode. That's why I love it so much. I think there are a lot of new th- new elements that come all in the same episode. There's there's a couple episodes of Buffy, and the, the the musical did this also, where things would be stagnant for so long, then you'd have an episode that would finally finally push through on some of these plot points. Willow and Tara's that that's introduced in that episode, so not maybe necessarily as much, but especially the Buffy and Riley thing. Finally, like okay, finally, let's just like get on with this, so <laughs> Riley can disappear by the end of the season. Yeah, uh, please, because the initiative uh, like that, is a, such a weird storyline. I, I, yeah, I like that Riley couldn't just be normal nice guy; he had to be normal nice guy who's also like a secret agent for anti supernatural military personnel Dude, the, or something like we, that with a bunker in the city we like you did that you barely saw the initiative it's there it's the worst storyline in buffy i think like the worst ongoing storyline it's this like the government has realized that there's weird things happening in sunnydale so let's research it and study it and also build a, a frankenstein monster out of monster parts nick google i want you to google for me on air google Buffy Adam. I want you to look at Adam for the first time on air, and I want to capture your reaction. Okay. All right. Hold on. Hold on. This is exciting. Oh. It's like the Terminator meets the mask. Yeah, sure. No, that sums it up. Oh, my gosh. It's not good. Mm -mm. You know, but he's confident enough to not put on a shirt. So, I mean, there's, (laughs) there's some respect there. There's some respect. Yeah, got got to give it up where it's due. Hush is uh, a good episode. Wow, okay. Oh, and they even made an action. Oh, unreleased action unreleased. figure. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> of course. I I I think a lot about Hush really beyond the fact that the Riley thing finally happens, which it just leads to the inevitable uh, abandonment that Buffy always experiences in her love life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's. The first, the first time that you finally like get to see them all try to communicate in a slightly different way, which I found interesting. Although rewatching it, I actually rewatched it today again, and um, I'm learning a lot about for my own personal job, like accessibility and like the new stuff that needs to happen for people who are deaf, people who are mute. And I'm sort of watching it, going like, 
oh, this could be a great episode for accessibility. And then I'm sitting there going like, oh my God, they didn't give a shit about any of that when they were making this episode. No. This is just not in any way leading that way. And my brain is living in 2021. The, the episode was created because Joss Whedon had realized like, oh, I'm getting so much praise for my dialogue. Is that kind of all that I am? Is that all that Buffy is? And so he challenged himself to write an episode where people didn't talk, though I realized it's still like 15 minutes before nobody talks. So he's still yeah. got plenty of dialogue in there. And I got to give a shout out to Doug Jones. Uh, Doug mm -hmm. Jones is a great actor that people would know from Guillermo del Toro movies primarily, he played the fawn, played the fish man in Shape of Water, was Ape Sapien in the Hellboy movies. He is one of the gentlemen and was also one of the only ones of them that could do the smile without needing like any sort of aid. His mouth can just do that. And that's oh, horrifying. Wow. <laughs> they were so creepy. Like I like I think up to that before that episode, every episode was like kind of campy. Like they had their serious moments, but like, you know, it's 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 not it wasn't always a serious show, even if it was trying to be creepy. And then that episode like was super unsettling. Especially when they ripped that guy's heart out. That was uh, unfortunate. For yeah, me. that was pretty messed up. I, I Not often do I feel like really bad for like the people that are just there to die in TV shows. <laughs> but like I felt really like I think it's because the Scooby gang like really are like I, I get that there's like a lot of deep subtext and stuff to them. But they're also all kind of like assholes that like <laughs> you have random Joe Schmo that just like wants to hang out in his dorm room but he can't because he's getting his heart ripped out by by demons or whatever i'm like i, I feel bad for those people yeah and i i also feel bad because there's there's this point where buffy's like walking out after he's been killed and there's like this one guy in like a bomber jacket who's semi-security like not letting people in but of course buffy just like slips by as if <sighs> no one's at the scene yet like this kid's got a heart completely removed and he's like bleeding out and probably definitely not alive but buffy's just there and it's okay and she doesn't seem like terrified by that she just walks in and looks at it and is like oh no well but that's a terrifying scene and there's no response the way i would imagine like anyone should respond even for someone like buffy who's dealt with an apocalypse or two already by that point or i mean how many open hearts has she seen though like that's she deals true. with vampires that turn to dust well that's true that's a good point that is a good point you know in nick's defense don's in trouble it must be tuesday so don's in trouble must be tuesday so <laughs> i did pick up on that line don okay don Okay. Uh, which she only appears yes. in in the music that we watched. She only appears in the musical episode. Um, and, and I, the little bit of googling I did. Also, no, sorry. I first met Don when I was reading the season eight comics, and she was like a giant. And like I only read one issue, so that's all I ever knew about her. So I didn't know that that was actually the same Michelle tracking board for character in in the TV show. But apparently, Don is not a particularly liked character. Is the, yeah. the feeling? No, <laughs> not at all. And that's that sums it up. And that's not that's well. And that's not the fault of Michelle Trachtenberg. That is no. because the show was suddenly about people in their twenties dealing with people in their twenties, and we introduce a fifteen-year-old back into the show. Which I don't know if they were trying to like capture that audience again. Dawn's story is also bananas. Uh, Nick, she only she only shows up. <laughs> I, I know up. that she like didn't exist and then just appears one day as if she always existed and yes. then they kind of snowball it from there. Well, yeah, she's she is a magical key made into human flesh made into Buffy's sister because they'll know that Buffy will protect her if she is her sister. Right. Yeah. That's, Which sure makes sense. I mean, we all have a sibling <laughs> like that, I think. So I, I, I would love for us to keep talking because there's so much more still to talk about. We haven't even talked about Spike and barely even talked about Angel. Unfortunately, though, we are running out of time. So is there anything that we didn't get to mention that we want to uh, talk about real quick? I mean, I, I think the whole dynamic and con sort of conflict for Buffy between those two characters that you just mentioned, Spike and, and Angel, is very important to her character in the sense that she's starts off with 
this guy who she thinks is the world and he's 26, but actually like 200 and something. And there's a lot wrong with that. But regardless, that's like her love. That's like, you know, the quintessential love for a girl and then, or for anyone. And then at the end, you know, she's got Riley in the middle and then spike at the end. Whereas like, she finally gives into her sort of human side, like the lust and being able to explore that about herself. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like, in the end of the seasons and not going of the show, not going into the, the comics, she finally like finds self-love, which I think is really nice. Um, even though it's sort of a convoluted way of getting there and very, very fraught with not so good misogynistic elements. I think at the end, it was kind of interesting in my opinion that she sort of ends up by herself, which I really always, I always liked. So I guess I would say that. Yeah, she, I mean, she does tell Spike at the end that I love you, but I've, I've always loved this response of, no, you don't. She doesn't. There's, no. there's never been any proof that she loves Spike. No, she was just, they started sleeping together when she was in a real bad place. And that storyline, like some others, dragged on for way too long, mm-hmm. uh, but ultimately did lead to her, like you said, really accepting she doesn't need to, to have a vampire in her life to <laughs> make her happy. Also... This is all I have to say about Spikes because I think you both summed it up, you know, much more eloquently. But his hair, how much <laughs> gel did that vampire use in his hair? Like I, he was in, I think the Halloween episode, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But he was yeah. like still a bad mm-hmm. guy, quote unquote. Uh, and then he's in the musical episode. Oh, no, sorry. He was also in, uh, maybe it was. He was in Hush. He was in Hush and in the musical episode. Yeah. For some reason, I didn't notice it unless it just got worse by the musical episode because I, it was like a bunch of onion rings sort of glued to his head. (laughs) And I, I, yeah. Anyway, Spike, Spike is a character that I definitely heard about in my, my life travels. And like, you know, he's like the moody, like cool, edgy rocker vampire guy. And I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds pretty cool, edgy and and whatever. And then like I get him and he's kind of wearing like oversized like jeans and jackets. So and I so I didn't find Spike as endearing as maybe he was at the time and also the onion ring hair. I mean but Spike Spike has a, an arc that you didn't really get to experience of his mm, growth. Fair. So fair. I, I understand, like, from what you saw, it's, like, just a random smattering. But I, I love Spike. Spike's one of my favorites from the show. And I'm amazed that James Marsters still has hair after what they must have put it through. And also, uh, I didn't realize he was not British for a very, very long time. Yeah, well, not at all. Neither is neither is um, James. Uh, what crap? Um, the man who plays Giles. Anthony. Anthony Stewart Head's not British. Uh, that's, that's apparently what I I read recently. I might be wrong. I might be completely wrong, but he he apparently they were Spike originally going back to Spike, uh, auditioned with a Texas accent. I'd heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Which I think so weird. I think that I was actually I I had gone back and was watching because I I for some reason so long ago bought a bunch of seasons of Smallville on DVD and then finally was like I've never watched these. This was still like a little bit pre-streaming, and so I was watching that. It really, Smallville wasn't streaming anywhere at the time, and there's he's mm-hmm. a character. He plays Brainiac in Smallville, and I was like, wait a minute, oh, is he doing an American accent? And I looked it up and was like, what? No, what? It uh, that was a. A, a day for me we've got a couple more things that we need to get to before we sign off though the first thing we're gonna do though of course we reached out to the audience we had a question for you we wanted to know who your favorite big bad was of buffy since i have another segment we just did a a poll this week in the winner by a narrow margin but still by by a few votes was season two spike angelus and drusilla were the winners with Glory actually coming in second and the mayor coming in third. We also got a couple of comments. Nick? Yeah, uh, not Hannah on Twitter said, I'm going to say the first evil, but only because it was Caleb adjacent and Nathan Fillion was so gleefully evil that hating him was something I looked forward to every week. Also, Glory got on my nerves. Which I could understand, but she was supposed to. Bobby Frank, Bobby Frankenberg, also a friend of the show and former guest, also weighed in because 
I did this poll on Twitter initially, and you only have four choices, and I didn't include the master. I had a comment where I said the master was boring. We talked about it earlier. And Bobby's reaction was, the master is boring? He's the only one I truly liked. He was snarky enough and found myself wanting him to actually win, which, Bobby, that combined with what you told us about being raised by the VHS tape of, uh, of Robin Hood tells me that maybe you need that therapy more than we, we originally thought. I kid. Dang. We love you, Bobby. We love you. Lauren, do you have a, a favorite of the big bads? Oh, gosh. Um, honestly, I absolutely, I, th- I think I have to say the gentleman is probably my favorite. But if I were to pick a different one other than the gentleman, which we talked about, it would be um, the 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 bug lady from from season one solely because it's so ridiculous that she you know as a, a praying mantis and oh i forgot about that yeah, yeah I, weird... I i love that episode because she's just eating men in her basement that's right but what I, what i mean big bad though i mean for the the season arc oh for the season arc yeah, yeah. for the season arc oh god I'm sorry. That's that's a it's, tough one. I I I think I really really I mean I always liked the master too. I I have an affiliation with season 1 so much because it was at a time in my life where I affiliate you know, I just identified with everyone involved. So mm-hmm. I would have to probably say the master, which is so boring, but um <laughs> but it's like I I I watch season 1 and I watch the master and I sort of go like, "Oh, my Good times, yeah. A little bit. I mean, I think I like the master now that you sort of explained sort of the the possible subtext of like what like the scene, like what he was leading to and what the scene was supposed to represent. Which even if he has like a expressive entity, I don't know what you want to call him, like is is kind of boring. At the same time, it it, it makes the story sound more like clever and interesting and deeper for the things that you had mentioned. Oh, we. Yeah. We barely talked about how, how horny this show could get. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> the Riley Buffy sex plant episode. Oh, dear <laughs> Lord. Just be clear, you said sex plant. They have, like a, they, like, yeah. f- there's, like, some curse on them or something where they can't stop having sex. And the more they have sex, the more this, like, plant takes over this house that everybody's in. It's, yep. it's bad. <laughs> it's not good. A very strange episode. It is. Speaking of very strange, we have a different segment as well uh, that I've put together here that uh, we haven't done one of these in a while. It's called Buff Leave It or Not. This game, I am going to say statements. Uh, We talked about how, Nick, stop shaking your head at that. It's a great (laughs) title and you know it. It's a, uh, I'm going to say statements of what may or may not have happened in subsequent Buffy seasons in the comic years. And you just, you, the two of you will tell me if they're true or false. You don't have to be in agreement. You can be separate in your assessment. But uh, yeah, that's that's the game here. So we will now play Buff Leave It or Not. First, uh, first statement here is that Twilight, the big bad of season eight, is revealed to be none other than Spike. Is that true or false? False. False. It, it sounds is, false. It is indeed false because it is Angel is who it is revealed to be. Read that on the wiki last night. <laughs> Dawn gets cursed to tell everyone the truth at all times, creating tension between her and the others. True. True. It's false. Actually, Nick, you had mentioned earlier she gets uh, cursed and changes shape a few times, one of them being uh, into a giant. Okay. In order to redeem himself after being Twilight, Angel works to collect the bits of Giles' soul after he dies. True? False. Lauren pulls ahead with one point because it's true. It's something he indeed does. (laughs) Riley becomes Adam 2.0, a being enhanced using monster DNA. Ultimately, he is killed by Xander. False. False. That is indeed false. When he Giles like leaves is, the show and gets married or something off screen and comes back or something? In one episode, yes. When Giles is finally resurrected, he's brought back as a 12-year-old boy. It seems like something Buffy the Buffy show would do, but I'm going to go yeah. with false. 
I'll say true just for fun. And Lauren is right. It's true. <laughs> that is what happens. They apparently take the memories of his aunts and they remember him most as like a child. So he gets brought back. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> Willow's new magic teacher and lover is a demon named Saga Vasuki. False. Yeah, I'm going to say true this time. It oh, is yeah. indeed true. She's a, yes. a Naga-type demon. Xander loses his arm, but gets a new one made by Yggdrasil, the world tree. Mm, false. Also false. It is indeed false. And our last one here. Due to his feelings for Buffy, Spike departs San Francisco in his spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> that one is true well, i want to see that what? i copied it i copied it verbatim from the oh. wikipedia article because i thought it was such a great sentence <laughs> just out of context spaceship? spike gets a spaceship man i don't know spaceship Buffy. oh dear so by one point there uh it looks like lauren you were you were the winner of buff leave it or not so oh, round awesome. of applause spaceship. anyway he it's gets, an honor. He gets a spaceship, man. I don't know. This the this it gets so wacky when they go into comic form because they lose all ties to reality. Wow. Why not? Why not have a spaceship? Exactly. I think now though it is time for us to share our final thoughts. Just wrap it up here. Do we think now viewing Buffy maybe for the first time or revisiting it after any sort of number of years? Is it a show that is worth checking out if you've never seen it or if you're curious about going back to it? Lauren, what do you think? I think Buffy is definitely worth watching. Uh, I will say that with a, a, a big grain of salt or a big caveat is you can't just watch one episode of Buffy because it out of context or out of really just like first viewing it's going to come off as ridiculous, campy, uncomfortable, and just downright weird for anyone. But if you allow yourself to get immersed, yes, definitely worth it. Definitely, in my opinion. I, I agree. I think a lot of it has to be contextualized now. We have to realize the time period it was made in. And so some stuff is going to hit very differently, like some of the casual uh, misogyny, even though so much of it is like rah, rah, girl power in really positive, really, really great ways. It's not without its its blemishes. And like all things, as time goes on, we see the cracks of it maybe a bit more. Nick, this was a first time for you, though. What do you think? I so like I had mentioned earlier, I started with the bad egg episode, <laughs> which was pretty <laughs> dumb. So to your point, like, yeah, it's kind of hard to, if I had just watched that episode, I, I don't think I would have bothered going back to Buffy. So I appreciate the cross selection of, of episodes because it definitely gave me, I became, I still think all the characters are assholes, but I still <laughs> felt more endeared to them by the time I got to the end of the musical episode. Like there's so much missing in my, my sense of, like, or knowledge of this show but i still had a pretty like the characters are uh, sort of like, not necessarily always deep but but certainly they're well articulated enough that like whether you whether if you watch an episode from each season like even as the characters grow and change there's still sort of a kernel of them that maintains the same like say xander's terrible sense of humor um <laughs> so i mean as a show is it still worth checking out now yeah, there is. There, I was really critical of the show while I was watching it, but still by the end of it, there's a part of me that's really intrigued by the world uh, and sort of wants to see how, sir, I mean, this, this episode of us recording also sort of may ruin the fates of some characters for me, but um, <laughs> I'm still, I still kind of want to see how things play out. I don't know if I will personally get to it at any point because the list of things I need to get to are very long, is very long. Um, but I can still see, I can see why Buffy was popular, even if some of it's problematic now. Uh, and I think that like, if they did want to reboot it or even just, even just bringing the old show back for reruns or whatever, I think it's, it's still worth checking out, but definitely don't start with the bad egg episode. <laughs> Well, those are our thoughts. And of course, listeners, we want to hear yours. We also want to have you participate when we ask questions, do polls. We're going to read your comments on the air. We're going to share your thoughts. 
And uh, also email us. We'll read your emails on the air as well. You can reach us at hitmeonemoretime.com slash contact and find all the ways to reach us there. And also our various social medias. Please follow us. We'd love to have you do so. Lauren, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun to talk about this and fun to explore this show again, considering it's been on the shelf for a while for me. So, Where can people find you if they want to know more of you and your stuff? Yeah, absolutely. You can find uh, me and the podcast, uh, Choosing Your Reflection, at choosingyourreflection.com or on your favorite podcast app. And we're also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And also, we always are looking for guests uh, because we're looking for stories about outfits. So if you're interested, you can email us at tell your, tell your story at choosingyourreflection.com because we'd love to hear from you. And thank you both again for having me on here. Oh, yeah. Thank you for being here. And people, definitely, if you you have stories to tell, but even if you don't, you, you don't think you have a story, you do. Reach out. Reach out. Share share uh, yourself and your day. Nick, thanks for being here, man. Thank you, David. Happy to be here. Um, people can find me on Instagram at palblamshazam underscore art. And you can find me on Twitter at palblamshazam. And people can find me under the username Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram. Find me there. Thank you so much, listening audience, for being here today. We do this show for you. We do this show because of you. Remember, you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time. <laughs>